I hope you guys are doing good, because I'm doing good, and it would be great if everybody was doing good with me. Um, I feel like, and i got to apologize to start off the sermon, uh, I feel like we talk about Chick-fil-A way too much from the stage. Um, and then it kind of begs the question, can you really talk about Chick-fil-A too much? I don't know. Uh, my kids would say you can. We went on a road trip not too long ago, and we ate Chick-fil-A for all three meals. And... Uh, I mean, because this was, you know, we don't have it a lot up here, and so this was kind of exciting, breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, and my kids no longer like Chick-fil-A. I think we may have overdone it. But, so I, I, I mean, I enjoy it, but I've had a shock recently because I've had this fundamental misunderstanding uh, about something concerning Chick-fil-A. Just like very basic misunderstanding, and I was kind of curious if my experience was uh, representative of humanity's experience with this as well, because I've been to Chick-fil-A for many, 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 many times, um, many times, and I've and I never uh, noticed this thing before. Now, for the purposes of the social experiment, I'm going to ask you to refrain from Googling the correct answer because I know you're going to want to do that, and then you're going to want to text me while I'm preaching with the correct answer. So I'm asking you to refrain from all that, but I, I want you to know, uh, or I want you to, uh, to, to think f- for a second, is Chick-fil-A spelled like this or like this. Now, don't shout out anything because we're going to take a poll here, and I don't want you to influence the, uh, the audience. This is a very scientific quiz that we're taking here. Now, I have unwrapped many, many, many Chick-fil-A sandwiches that have the logo on it. I have drank many Chick-fil-A lemonades that had the logo on the cup. I have driven by the road trip in question. I have driven by many Chick-fil-A's, and for some reason, I wasn't sure how Chick-fil-A is spelled. So we're going to do a little informal poll. I don't want you guys wait until, you know, you see what other people say. I want you to go from your gut, and I want to ask you, how many of you think Chick-fil-A is spelled here with a K like this, over here? Raise, raise your hand. <coughs> All right, very good. Wow. All right, not quite half, maybe a quarter. How many of you think Chick-fil-A is spelled with the C? All right, and how many of you are like independents and you really can't make up your mind? Okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll let you. Um, I, I mean, I've had so many Chick-fil-A sandwiches, food. I've driven by the restaurant. How could I be mistaken about something so basic? But I have been wrong my entire life about how Chick-fil-A was spelled. Um, now, here's the deal, because which, which is it? How many of you knew that it was actually neither? Go to the next slide, if you will. All right, some of you like... now. I will say, now hang on, hang on, hang on. Some of you are like, what, that was not fair. That was not fair. You did not give us the correct option. I asked a Chick-fil-A employee this week, and I gave them those two options. They were like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not positive. A Chick-fil-A employee. Now, some of you are like, that is not fair. You cannot ask us a question like that uh, and then give us two false answers. That's not fair. Um, and, and because, here's the deal is though, I mean, some of you knew the answer anyway, but really you had access to the correct answer. I did like try to limit it. I did, it was a little unfair. I get that, but you did have access to the correct information and it, it's not really fair. Now, had the stakes been higher, had we been talking about something actually important, some of you might have been a little frustrated that I presented you with two false options and did not give you the ability to choose the correct thing. And, and, and the premise of what we're going to be talking about in this series is this idea that we are constantly confronted with these false either-or choices. False either-or choices. 
situations come along and try to make us think that there's only one of two options, and we have to choose one of these two options, or we're going to, you know, something dire is going to happen. I want you to think about, like, all the different things that, have, that, that you've experienced. For example, guilt trips. They're always a fault, either or, right? Either you feed your children organic food, or you don't love them, right? That's, that's not your only two options, we had done some silly drawing at like our, you know, state fair kind of thing uh, for a, 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 you win a prize, but you could actually have these guys come into your home and they could give you an estimate on how much it would be to install a security system. You know, put my name in for the drawing, which is always dumb. I don't know why I do that. And the cost is, is they got to come over and they got to give you this big long spiel about, you know, here's your costs and benefits and all that kind of stuff. And so this guy came over and from the get-go, he knocked on the door and I'm like, I'm not buying a security system. I'm not going to do it. I'm not buying it. But he was persistent, sales, 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 sales. And he fi- I finally was like, look, I'm not buying anything. And he literally said, oh, do you not care about the safety of your family? That's a false dilemma. My two choices are not buy this system or care about the safety of my family. Those aren't my only two options. Politics, and this could totally get me in trouble, but politics, we're constantly confronted with false dilemmas. Literally, politicians will come up, you know, they'll give a speech and they're like, you have to vote for me because my opponent is literally the Antichrist. And they will initiate the the four horsemen of the apocalypse if you don't vote for me. don't know that those are my only two real options. Political discourse is full of these like these faults, either or dilemmas. If somebody were to come along and say, you know what, uh, I don't know that I really care if NFL players kneel during the national anthem, then somebody else comes along and says, oh, you don't like veterans, you don't like our country, you don't like our flag, you don't want to be an American? Whoa, Nelly! Like, there are some nuances that we can have about some of these positions. Those aren't my only two options. And I can't even give you other examples because you would just sit here and stew that I even use that as an example. Because we are so bought into the fact that we can only have one of these two choices. Sometimes we say things to make ourselves feel better. Maybe you see somebody who's in good shape and they're really healthy and they exercise. And you say things like, well, I'd rather be fat and happy than skinny and miserable, right? (laughs) How many of us have said things like that? Those aren't our only two options, right? I've seen some unhappy fat people too, right? Those aren't your only two options. Either or is the classic peer pressure tactic, you know, when, they, when you were in high school or junior high. Hey, you can either do this really dumb thing or you're a loser. I think, I think I'm a loser either way here, like... It's the classic peer pressure. I don't think those are my only two options. And once you start seeing that false either or, you begin to see it everywhere. I got a billboard uh, that Corrine showed me this week that I thought was perfect. Why love one but eat the other? Honestly, I, I love both. One is, you know, fun to play with and one is delicious. I'll let you guess which is which. Is which. I love both, really. It's a false either or dilemma faults either or dilemma i'd venture a guess that quite a few of our bad decisions in life were at the other end of a either or thinking it's a false dilemma that we were presented with and we just thought these were our only two options so we have to choose 
Things like either I fudge the truth or I endanger this relationship that I'm trying to cultivate. Either I cut that person out of my life or I let them run all over me. Either I work these long hours or my family starves. Either, at I, either I, I'm a stay-at-home mom or I don't love my kids. Either I date this guy or this girl or I will be lonely. Either I stay married and miserable or I get a divorce and be happy. I mean, these are false either-or dilemmas that people put themselves in and they are ultimately destined to make a bad choice because they've not regarded the fact that maybe those aren't your only two options. In fact, at the very extremes of this, people use these either-ors to walk away from their faith. They feel like they've got to walk away from their faith because of an either-or dilemma. For example, God, either you heal my grandmother, either you make her better, or you're not a good God, and I can't believe in you. It's an either-or. Maybe those aren't our only two options. Some people come along and say, hey, either science is right or the Bible is right. Maybe those aren't our only two options. And people literally walk away from their faith because they've accepted some sort of limitation to their thinking that makes them, forces them into choosing one of two bad decisions. Now, over and over and over in the Gospels, people tried to limit Jesus with these either-ors. People tried to limit Jesus with either-ors. They would create a scenario, or they would talk to him, or they'd bring up a situation. They would say, all right, Jesus, which is it? Here's two contrasting things, and you have to choose one. And we're going to talk about some of these in our series, but they walked into him with a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they said, Jesus, either justice or mercy, choose one. You have to choose justice or mercy, which is it? Uh, they, they confronted him when he dined with sinners, and they said, Jesus, you can either be holy before God or you can eat with sinners. Which, which is it? There's only one of two options. They, they brought to him, uh, uh, they asked him about taxes, and they said, Jesus, you can either be complicit with Rome and everything that they do, or you can be in defiance of, of the rule of law. Those are your only two options. And Jesus, over and over and over again, was, was confronted with these, these either-or decisions, these false decisions. And we're going to talk about some of those specific scenarios. But I want to set up the beginning of this idea. That's what this series is about, those moments when Jesus actually kind of blew up that either or thinking and help people realize, whoa, there's more, there's more options, there's more to this world, there's more choices to be made than these two things someone's confronting me with because so many of our bad decisions, so many of our bad ideas are at the other end of an either or decision. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a passage of Scripture that I love. I love this passage of Scripture. I know some of you do as well uh, as soon as we get into it, but it's, a, it's just a, the most amazing story about a couple different either-or scenarios. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John chapter 9. John chapter 9 is where we're going to start. John chapter 9. <clears throat> and we're going to start right in verse 1. Jesus is doing his thing, walking along. They're asking him questions. And they walk by this guy, this blind guy, probably begging on the side of the road. And uh, he saw, as he went along, he saw a man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Who sinned? Who is to blame for this man's blindness? Is it his parents or is is it him? Either his parents or he sinned that he was born blind. Now this should strike us as a bit of an odd question because it's not typically the way that we think, although it's more similar to the way that we think, and I'm going to illustrate that in a section. But who, who sinned? I mean, 
And we think, like, what does sin have to do with a, uh, with a congenital defect in somebody? What, is, what does this have to do with anything? Who sinned? Who's to blame? Now, the working assumption that they had was that bad stuff happens to bad people. And if a bad thing happens to you, it's because you're a bad people. You've done something wrong, therefore bad things are happening to you. And it doesn't have to be related. It doesn't have to be natural consequences, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, doing something dangerous and you get injured. It's not that. It's just like, hey, you must have done a bad random thing because this other bad random thing happened to you. And they would work backwards from that. So they would look at somebody who was born blind and they would say, well, obviously somebody sinned that this happened. And we don't know what the sin is. We don't know what happened, but obviously somebody sinned. Um, you've got, you know, if, if you get in a car accident, well, God was punishing you for something. If you lose all your money on a bad investment, well, you did something evil. We don't know what it was, but you did something evil. If you get sick, you had a secret sin. You had a secret sin. Now, if you think about this, like the idea, the basic idea is if there is suffering, there must also be sin. That was their working assumption. If there is pain, it must be the result of a problem. Now, sometimes that's true, right? We see natural consequences. But it is wrong, right? We would know that it's wrong to think that all suffering comes from some sort of mistake that we've made in our lives. We, I mean, that seems clear, right? I mean, even there's such a thing as good suffering. Like, if you're going to go running, that's suffering, but it's not because it's a result of sin, Right? I mean, maybe you think that suffering is punishment for some, or running is punishment for something, but not all suffering is a result of sin. I think, I think that we would understand that on a general level. Because imagine the psychological toll this would carry. Imagine this. Like, imagine every time something bad happened, the furnace goes out, and you're like, okay, who in this house sinned? Little Billy, did you sin? I mean, we got to have somebody to blame for this furnace. Who was it? Let's get your act together. I mean, imagine that. Or imagine if you get the flu, the gossip that would go around like, did you hear Karen sick? Oh, I wonder what she did. Oh, my goodness. Must have something bad. I just knew it. There was something suspicious going on in her life. I mean, imagine the psychological toll. But I mean, the serious psychological toll. This poor guy that was born blind, that had been blind his entire life, wondered if he was a curse to his parents for something that they had done. Imagine that. Would that not put a little strain on your relationship with your family? Or imagine if you as parents were like, oh man, we must have done something bad because here our son is born blind. How devastating would that be as a parent to think that you had caused this to happen? I mean, here's your only two options, God. Who sinned? One of these two people. I mean, and even worse, think about this, even worse, and we see this evidenced in the Bible in a number of different places. Because they were suffering as a result of their sin, you were justified in not showing them compassion. Well, they did the crime, they can do the time. You didn't have to give them the time of day because God was punishing them and you didn't want to get in the way of God's punishment. You could just walk right on by the blind man. You could just walk right on by that person. I mean, how wild is that to think about that? Who sinned? When Katrina, Hurricane Katrina hit uh, New Orleans, multiple, multiple Christian leaders said, you know what? It's because of the sin of New Orleans that Hurricane Katrina hit. God's, there, God's punishing them for their sin. Oh, goodness. If that's true, we're all in trouble, right? We should all be watching out for earthquakes all the time. Why didn't God hit Nazi Germany with an earthquake if that was a result of sin? I mean, it's just such bad theology. You know what that is? That's just a, Christian, a Christianized version of karma. That's all it is. It's not the way God works. 
That's not how God works. And Jesus was about to blow their mind because he says in John chapter 9, verse 3, so who sinned, Jesus? Which is it? Give us the insight. Give us the knowledge. And Jesus comes out in John chapter 9, verse 3, and he says, neither. Neither his parents, nor he sinned. Neither. This is not the result of some punishment that this guy's experiencing. This is so that I can show my power. Now, there's so much there that we could unpack and that we could try to figure out. But essentially, Jesus is saying, hey, instead of figuring out who's to blame here, why don't I help him and show you what God can do in somebody's life? Man, that's powerful. Maybe it's not one of these two scenarios. Maybe it's neither. And they're like, whoa, He just blew their minds because he opened up a world of possibilities. They don't have to be limited by the idea that somebody's at fault for this. Somebody's to blame for this. Neither. There's a whole lot there that we could talk about that we're not going to get into because we got more that we want to look at in this passage. So Jesus heals this guy. He heals this guy, and this guy goes back to his neighborhood. And I totally imagine, I don't know if he was a thinker like this, but I know I would have done if I was healed of lifelong blindness, I would slip my sunglasses go on and I would go back home and I would just try to mess with people just for a little bit, right? I wouldn't say anything right away, but somebody would walk in the room and I'd be like, oh, hey, George, you know, how did you know? Like, how did you know? Or you could be like, oh, I, you know, I saw Judy the other day. What do you mean you saw Judy? Like, I'd try to mess with people a little bit. And, and his neighbors and his friends are like, wait a second, is this the same guy? Because What happened here, Jesus did this crazy miracle where he spit on the ground and made mud and rubbed the mud in this guy's eyes. I mean, it's just nuts. And there's some, like, uh, symbolic stuff that's happening there that it would be fun to explore sometime. But he heals this guy, and and, uh, and, and eventually his friends and neighbors are like, well, we got to bring him to the the religious leaders because something happened here. This is amazing, and they got to kind of confirm it, and they got to, like, you know, that's just the way their society was structured. So in John chapter uh, 9, verse 12, uh, oh, oh, sorry, I want to say this too. This is really cool. <laughs> they, friends and neighbors asked him, where is this guy that healed you? Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. I used to be blind and didn't watch him leave. Duh. That's what the Bible says. Did you know that? That's not true. That whole yellow part is not in there. But literally, literally they asked him, hey, where did this guy go? I didn't see him. Remember, I had the mud on my eyes and I had to like, a whole thing, right? Remember, I used to be blind. I just love it. All right. Verse 13, verse 13, move on from there. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, uh-oh, here we go. Verse 14, because the Pharisees, I mean, Pharisees had some good things about them, but it seems like every time the word Pharisees pops up in the Bible, you're like, uh-oh, something's about to happen, right? Verse 14, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud, remember, spit in the mud, mom didn't cover, Mary didn't cover that, you know, when he's going over the, the, the social etiquette, spit in the mud, open the man's eyes, was a Sabbath. It was a Sabbath. Now, those of you that have grown up in church know that the Sabbath, you were not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, and they had very specific rules about what qualified as work and what did not qualify as work, but you were not supposed to do work. And somehow, somebody at some point had said, well, hey, is uh, healing somebody born of blindness, is that work or not? And they sit around and sit around and debate, and they're like, yeah, I think that's, that's work. And so when Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. A miracle here, maybe, but he did it when? Which day of the week did he do it? Oh, Sabbath? Oh, well, then this man cannot be from God. Verse, verse 14, some of the Pharisees, not all of them, some, or 16, excuse me, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Can't work on the Sabbath. You know what, folks? We should be wrong every once in a while. As human beings... 
We should be wrong every once in a while. I mean, I know a lot of us are never wrong. In fact, uh, if you were to talk to certain people's spouses, uh, they would tell you that there's a few phrases that get used all the time with, with us know-it-alls. And it's phrases like, well, uh, uh, oh, okay, technically there are two accepted spellings of the word, so I'm not wrong, right? Looking it up. Well, yeah, that spelling was used in, you know, England in the 14th century, but okay, whatever, right? Um, or, or some of us know-it-alls will say things like, oh, well, what website did you get that information from, huh? Like, like we know it all and the internet is wrong, right? Um, or some of us will say things, we can't st- cite the actual studies or the actual scientists who did them, but we'll say things, well, studies have shown, studies have shown, so I'm right and you're wrong. That's the kind of thing that we do. But you know what? We need to be wrong every once in a while. The misunderstanding that the Pharisees have about this situation is not the problem. It's okay to be misunderstanding about what God is doing and what God expects. That's okay to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong, folks. Did you know that? Boy, your husbands or your wives should be saying amen because it is okay to be wrong every once in a while. In fact, I would even argue that it is healthy to be wrong every once in a while. If our ideas, listen, if our ideas are never challenged and our beliefs are never changing, then we are probably not growing to become more like Jesus Christ. Hmm, I don't know if I like that, Patrick. Because I do kind of have it all figured out. Oh, I would not say it that way. But I do. I've read the Bible. I've read the verses. I got it all figured out. If our ideas are never challenged and our beliefs are never changing, I don't know. I don't know that we're growing, right? We need, it's healthy to be wrong every once in a while. It's not wrong to be wrong, it's wrong to stay wrong. The problem isn't that they're wrong. I mean, honestly, listen, it's some of us, you know, you should be a little suspicious if God always happens to agree with us, right? We should be a little suspicious of that. Now, these guys, the the Pharisees, they're like, I don't know, and I get it. This is a big thing to wrap your minds around. This guy was born blind, and Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. I don't know. That doesn't sound right because we believe that you shouldn't do any work on the Sabbath, so I don't know. Let's explore this a little bit more. That's great. Let's explore this a little bit more. All right, so verse 18, they still did not believe that he had been blind and they received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Now, I wouldn't either, right? I wouldn't either. I would be like, you got, bring me the proof, bring me the information. I would not either. If one of you walked up to me and said, I saw this guy on the street and he couldn't walk and then he could, I'd be like, hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to do a little more exploring. So the Pharisees totally get it, totally normal, totally fine, allow themselves to be challenged. It's great. But then in verse 19, they ask this, 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 these parents, is this your son, they ask? Is he the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? And his parents, man, I don't know. These are not the parents of the year because in verse 20, they say, we know he's our son. We know that much. We're pretty certain. And the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who has opened his eyes, no clue, no clue. They're totally throwing their hands up like, I'm, we're not part of this. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Why? Because they're scared of the Pharisees. Why? Because they already know that this isn't really an honest, open investigation of the facts. They already know that the Pharisees have a conclusion in mind that they're determined to get to no matter the cost. Ask him. Now come on, 
Can you imagine being this blind guy and you're like, hey, everybody, I can see, I can see, and your parents totally throw you under the bus in front of the religious leaders. You're like, oh, thanks, mom and dad. The first thing I'm going to do with my newfound ability is have to defend myself before these guys. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you very much. But he comes in front of them, and this guy is awesome. This guy is so cool. If you haven't read this passage, I mean, you just got to read through it in its entirety because it's so cool. So, hey, we don't want to have anything to do with, uh, we know he's their son, but he'll speak for himself. Now, verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already predetermined that the correct option was not right, and they were limiting themselves to an either or. Either you're lying or Jesus is lying. But it cannot be that Jesus is somebody special. It cannot be that Jesus is the Messiah. They have already eliminated the third option that is, <laughs> that's right. They've decided that anyone that acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, John 9, 22. So verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and they said, hey, give glory to God by telling the truth, because they've already eliminated the truth. So they said, we know this man is a sinner. We know this man is a sinner. And now there is a, they put their pride on the line. There is a cost to them for being wrong. They have not entered this discussion with an open mind. They've set parameters and they've made a cost for being wrong. Because now if they're wrong, they get kicked out of the Jewish leadership too. Oh man. It's always dangerous when we cannot allow for a God that is bigger and deeper and wider than our limited thoughts. Well, that can't be right. That's not right. Jesus would just blow us out of the water every time we think, no, I got God figured out. I got him figured out. He's right there. Here he is. Nope, that doesn't fit. I've already figured him out. Boy, we are, it is always dangerous. I think we're always going to be in trouble when we can't allow for a God that is bigger and deeper and wider than our limited thoughts. Either Jesus is lying or this blind man is lying, but he cannot be the Messiah. There it is. Either or strikes again. And this guy says, I love this guy. I wish we knew his name. I want to talk to him someday because he's so cool. He said, verse 25, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I have no idea. I can't even speak to that. That's not the issue I'm trying to figure out. I mean, it's kind of goofy that that's what you guys are trying to figure out. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. You guys got all your theology. You got all your advanced degrees. But this, these are the basic facts. I was blind. Now I see. I can't figure out all this other stuff. But this is what I know. And then they asked him, so what did he do to open your eyes? Now they've already interrogated him. This is multiple times. Verse 27, listen to this. This is so cool. He answered, I have told you already, and you're not listening. You do not want to know the truth. You do not care about the truth. You just want to argue to prove that you're right. That's what you want to do. I've told you. And then he says this. This is so good. Do you want to become his disciples too? Is that, is that why you want? Is that why you want me to tell you this story again? Oh, you want, to be, you want to follow Jesus too? I mean, that's good stuff, right? Come on, that is good stuff. You don't usually see like humor and sarcasm in the Bible, but there it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, I get it. Okay, you guys want to be Jesus' disciples too. That is so good. I mean, this is like good old, old school playground ta- trash talk, right? And they come back with the lamest of lame, lame responses. They hurled insults at him, <laughs> and they said, oh, you are this fellow's disciple. Oh, good one, guys. You know what? Maybe you should have been working on your comebacks instead of just, like, arguing with me all the time. That is so lame. Oh, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. 
And the guy's about to speak to that, like, oh, you've never seen Moses and you're his disciples, but whatever. Verse 29, we know that God spoke to Moses. Oh, you do, huh? You were there? You can confirm that? You can prove that? We know. We know this guy isn't of God, but we know God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Verse 30, the man answered, now that is remarkable. You guys, with all your learning, right, with all your thinking, with all your sitting around pontificating, you don't know where this guy comes from, yet he opened my eyes. And verse 33, listen to what he says. If this man, this is the blind man formerly known as blind, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This is good. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And then look what they say in verse 34. These guys just can't handle it. And this is ultimately the truth. When people get in an argument that they're only interested in winning, they're not interested in having an honest discussion, they're just going to get angry eventually, right? To this they replied, listen, you were steeped in sin. Like, like a tea bag in a cup. You were steeped in sin at birth. Why did they say that? Because he was born blind. And their theology didn't allow them to think that things like this could just happen for, for reasons that we can understand. Somebody had to be blamed, and they were going to blame him. You were a sinner from birth. Why do we know that? Because you're blind. How dare you lecture us? How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I was thinking about this a lot this week, about those things that just get us to a place where we can't just be open to God and what he's challenging us and, and trying to get us to do. And I think that there's three main things that allow us or, or keep us from being open to God. I think it's pride. We just can't admit that we're wrong, right? We just can't admit it. It's so hard. I think it's fear because if we got all, got all figured out, then we can kind of control him. We, got, we, got, we know how this works. We know what to expect. And I think it's desire. I just so desperately want this thing to be true. I just want it to be true. I want it to be true that I'm not going to consider other possibilities or other alternatives. I think pride, fear, and desire blind us to the truth. They fear them out. In fact, think about this. Their belief about God, listen, their belief about God pre prevented them from seeing God in the flesh. I've got it all figured out, guys. It's right here. And they totally missed Jesus. Their theology prevented them from seeing God in human form. Wow. You cannot always trust everything that you think. Through this series, I think our beliefs might be challenged a little bit because we're going to examine exactly what Jesus was talking about and we're going to try to be as open and honest as we can and you may, not disagree, you may not agree, but that's fine. But we just, we're just going to ask that we, we, our thinking might be upended a little bit, that, that we'd repent of our small thoughts of God, that Jesus would challenge our small thinking. And listen, our pride, my pride, my fear, my desire is going to well up as I, as I explore, as we explore where Jesus is going. But listen, if our beliefs aren't challenged, it might mean that we're not growing. It might mean that. could mean you just got everything figured out, but... It's always dangerous when we can't allow for a God that is bigger and deeper and wider than our limited thoughts, our limited ideas. And pride, fear, and desire tend to blind us to the truth. So those are the tools that we're going to ask you to work with as we go throughout the series and we explore some of what Jesus had to say about some of the either-or uh, limitations that we're putting on ourselves and that they tried to put on Jesus. So let's pray, and uh, then we'll be dismissed, and we'll see everybody at that picnic. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, Lord, we're so grateful uh, to you, Lord. We, we know that it's a little disconcerting sometimes when we think about uh, how much bigger you are than us and how much uh, wiser you are than us. But Lord, we want to be humble before you. We want to honor and glorify you. We want to seek after you. And Lord, so I know that we get worried when we think about uh, transforming ourselves and changing our ideas and growing to be more like you. But I pray that you would help us. Uh, we we want to earnestly seek after you. And so we pray that that fear, that worry, that, 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 that desire, for certain things to be true would be eliminated and that we would be able to to follow you open-heartedly, wholeheartedly. God, we love you and we know that you love us and you want what's best for us. So Lord, we pray that as we, we seek after you, you will reveal truth to us in a way that challenges us but causes us to be more like Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray, amen. You're dismissed.